Let's be clear. When we watched The West Wing, for fans of The West Wing, all of us at the time, we either shipped Donna and Josh or we shipped Josh and Amy. But at the time in 2004, we weren't saying, oh my God, collectively, some people were, of course, those people who are advanced and ahead of the curve. But most of us were like, yeah, cute. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lainey. I am the founder of LaineyGossip.com. I'm a TV host in Canada, and this time I hit record. I am Duana Taha. I am a television screenwriter and producer, and I've just realized that I might now have a podcasting outfit. On today's episode, we talk about the West Wing reunion, and in particular, we revisit a character who doesn't want to revisit her character. Why the passage of time makes everything clearer, but that can be a problem if you really don't want to go back there. Plus, there was a moment on SNL this week that had a lot of people talking. Yeah, and had people like me kind of angry about why they were talking. All of this, plus a new game and a semi-quasi, not really, but kind of job opportunity for one of you guys. This is Show Your Work. You know what I think I need? I need a reason to wear like different clothes. Like this is what I'm struggling with now. As we speak, I'm recording in probably the hottest room in my house. So I put on a t-shirt because that's where I am. But that's about the extent of the wardrobe variants. I need reasons to put things on. Uh, like, what are you talking about? A pencil skirt? No, like, look, please, I'm not going back to an elastic waist, but like, uh, you know, I know we're all wearing like a continuum of athleisure, right? Like that's everybody in the world now. Yes. Okay. And like you, you have on a yellow sweatshirt. I've never seen you in yellow before. So there's that. Um, but like, I just, I, I, sometimes I like to dress on a theme, you know, in the old days, like you reach mm. for your wide leg jeans and then suddenly you're doing like a 70s rock chick thing without really intending to, but you add and you add and kind of thing. I that just is need so like, your vibe. It kind of is. 70s um, rock chick is never how I theme dress. No, but but other theme dressing, right? What do you yeah. do? What do you choose? Like one day you're like, I want to look like a, like a cute little Wednesday Adams or whatever. The fucked up thing is I can't remember anymore. <laughs> Because, you know, I only and exclusively wear sweatsuit sets. So I have increased my, I could do a whole fashion show for three days. I have, I just ordered 
three or four of the same sweatsuits in different colors and in different necklines because like the hoodie was out in my size. So then I ended up getting the crew, but there's a cinnamon and all of a black and I just ordered the pink. Okay. So but top and then, bottom. Right. But how do you choose when you're wearing the pink versus when you're wearing the olive, right? Like I, I just need some sort of guiding principle of, okay, maybe like polka dots on top and bottom today or something. Like I just, I I need some sort of a metric because there are no longer days where it's like, oh, I have this meeting or I'm going to go out with my friends after or whatever. There's no going, there's no meeting, there's no nothing. (laughs) So I just, I need some sort of, I need like the, the implication of a calendar. I assume this is why people implemented a calendar in the first place, right? Just to give the days meaning. Maybe that is what we need to do. Like on Wednesdays, we like Wednesdays, you pair pink. Yes. Or, but a whole ass calendar. Like maybe that's, maybe that's our new project. We come up with a month, um, 30 days of, you know, the first Monday of every month you wear stripes, but they can only be on the bottom. And then the Tuesday of every month, first Tuesday of every month, blah, 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 go along with it. Can you mix and match? Like, can it be like, is it a calendar or like, is it a bingo card? Like, I'm, I'm very into this now. Can we scrap the podcast and just work on this, <laughs> uh, work on this chart? Yeah, it can be a list. Like, uh, the first Monday, these are your options, stripes, polka dots, but absolutely no black. Right. Great. See, right. See? I'm, I'm so much happier now that you're giving me just some parameters. That's all I'm, that's what I'm looking for. Or like. <laughs> Um, on, on, yes, on a given Thursday, uh, you have to, uh, I don't know, wear something that requires you to add like green eyeshadow to the mix. Something. Right. Yes. Maybe, okay. Yeah. I, this is what we should do. Oh man. I'm so happy now. I'm so excited. Yeah. It's like the COVID, what is it? The COVID style calendar. Yeah. A COVID dress code. Let's make it, let's make it happen. Um, can you guys send us suggestions for said dress code? Again, like soft pants only. Uh, get out of here with anything <laughs> yeah. like denim. Um, but uh, but yeah, or like, you know, whatever it is. Or like, yeah, someday you have to wear something from the very back of your closet. I don't know. I just need something. Send us suggestions, please. Thank you. Um, okay. Well, now that we have our next project lined up, Let's get into this week's episode, which is a kind of uh, an unusual one for us. We are freeballing our entire way top to bottom through this because of a fuck up that I made. Uh, we actually recorded uh, an episode yesterday. I actually, but we didn't record it because I did not hit the other record button. Uh, so we are doing it all over again, top to bottom. It's like we rehearsed and this is the real. <laughs> right. But we're changing up some things to, to make it feel, uh, feel fresh. We um, threw out the first topic. This is a new first topic. So we are putting this out on the day that HBO Max, uh, will air the West Wing reunion. They are replaying or restaging theatrically, an episode from season three of The West Wing, which is called Hartsfield Landing. It's about voting uh, to benefit when we all vote. Right. Um, And what I thought you were going to say when you said, oh, this is a bit different than usual this episode is that it's just all of us being cranky and pouty. 
um, because uh, you and I are both deep West Wing fans. Um, and in Canada, as of press time, unless you have an exciting like press release that you need to tell me about in the last hour, um, we're not actually receiving this episode, this HBO Max special. Nope. Which, okay. I'm sometimes cheesed. Every now and again, we get some emails from uh, some of you guys who are our neighbors to the South being like, fuck off with our politics. Listen to your own politics. And like, we try, but it's not the same. And you have no idea how much of you inundates our life uh, and how much we know. And we could probably quote like exit polls from the lines in Georgia yesterday. We know this shit. So it does feel a bit pouty pants that we don't get this episode, even though I suppose it should be focused on, you know, the people who will actually be spurred to vote, right? Yes. And please vote. P.S. Go vote. Please make sure you're registered to vote. Americans, go vote. Anyway, the West Wing. Well, although, I mean, this is a bridge topic, but, you know, the, as you said, the proceeds go to when we all vote. And I guess the question is, you know, is there anybody who is enough of a fan of the West Wing to watch a remounting of an episode from, uh, I guess that would be like 2004, who is not going to vote? Like, what is the Venn diagram of those people? It's not huge. I don't think it's huge. But if you're out there, get your ass up and vote. Watch the episode. If you're in America, you're lucky. Or, well, first you have to subscribe to HBO Max, which that might be the problem. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, if you are subscribed to HBO Max and you're going to watch this and you're not going to vote, then yeah, that's a Venn diagram of two. And we see you, Alicia and Matthew. Get up. Um, go. All right. So they're restaging this uh, almost what the whole cast is back, of course, except for John Spencer and uh, Sterling K. Brown is playing Leo. But this specifically is related to an interview that uh, Janelle Maloney and Dulé Hill did with Vanity Fair about coming back to their respective characters. That would be Donna and Charlie. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because those characters, I didn't put it together before now, but those characters are were and are the youngest, right? Like, obviously, it's been 18 and change years. It's been 18 years since the show first aired, which means they probably made the pilot like 19 years ago. Um, but those two characters were the youngest. They were the characters in their 20s when the show began. Um, and so it's kind of, it, it is sort of interesting that they were the two interviewed. Um, and it's sort of not because they were the two who kind of carried the, I'm just going to say, they carried the not being a white old guy torch. Yes? Yes. Yes. Correct. I mean, so, apart from CJ, uh, Allison, uh, apart from, yeah, Allison J. Sorry. <laughs> we can't edit that. That's, no, that's just, whatever. That's just pandemic brain. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I, you know, the show was kind of conceived of as being the president and Rob Lowe and Bradley Whitford and John Spencer and uh, Toby's uh, actor's name, Richard Schiff is escaping me. And Allison Janney was kind of like the token woman at the time, let's be honest. And then, uh, yeah, Charlie and Donna were kind of added to the, to the mix to 
show other sides of things. Yeah. I mean, we are major, again, as you mentioned, major West Wing fans, and there's so much West Wing lore. Initially, it was Martin Sheen was supposed to be like quite a secondary character. They were going to build a story around Sam Seaborn, and then they realized Martin Sheen was so beloved and electrifying as President Josiah Bartlett that they kind of, you know, went with the flow. This is what happens, right? You put a story down, the actors then, you know, become and complete the characters. And then as the producers and as the writers are watching what's unfolding on camera, they're like, holy shit, the chemistry here, you know, everything is so amazing. Everything's firing on all cylinders. We need to amp up this. We need to beef up this. And magic happens. So um, that... Depending on who you are. Because yes. uh, magic happens and everybody <laughs> loved Jeb Bartlett, uh, the person who and did not love got it, crusty. <laughs> uh, Rob Lowe, uh, as Sam Seaborn. Um, and we really do have a point to talk about here, but I also need to discuss that there's a press photo in this Vanity Fair article that has the entire cast, including uh, Ainsley Hayes. That's the character name. I will scroll and find the actress's name in a minute. But you know who's not here? Joshua Molina who's already like uh, he dines out all the time on right. being like the the not uh, in, included right. guy in the West Wing all the time. Will wasn't in season three, though, was he? No, you're absolutely right. But yeah. he could have read Toby. I suppose that's a folding of the fictional space time. Fine. Fine. <laughs> I was looking for drama. There's not any. Joshua Molina, I'm going to come and like hang out with you on Twitter uh, while you're pouting about it. But anyway, so. There's the entire cast, uh, all like issues aside. Um, they very publicly kind of argued when uh, when Trump was first doing the 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 banning of certain countries and Ubers were breaking picket lines and blah, blah, blah. Bradley Whitford called out Rob Lowe, probably not for the first or last time. But here they all are. Here they all are. Everything is great. Uh, so Janelle and Charlie, or sorry, Janelle and Dulé <laughs> do the interview. And uh, I mean, listen, this is a show about work, really. Oh, yeah. uh, that is what, that is why we, you and for us anyway, why we were so obsessed with it, are so obsessed with it, because this is a show about people who love their jobs, who are great at their jobs, and they show us them doing their jobs. And 18 years ago, what was acceptable or what happened in the workplace is not what should be and is happening now, or at least the things that we're questioning now kind of got by back then. And so there is a certain lens that we're kind of revisiting these storylines through, and that's where we come to Donna. Yeah. Um, you know, the the setup in the piece is pretty... Uh, straightforward. It's more or less what you just said. Uh, the West Wing, I guess the only other thing is the West Wing was seen as, if you never watched it, it was sort of a, a democratic ideal, right? And I mean that in a small d way, although the characters were Democrats. It was like everybody always working for the best interpretation of the, the country and the laws and all those kinds of things. Um, and the uh, and so everybody was sort of working nobly. That was the idea, right? Mm-hmm. Including Donna, who played the assistant to the deputy chief of staff. Do I have that right? Correct. Joshua Lyman. Yeah. So uh, she was his assistant, and they also had more than a little sexual chemistry. 
um, which like a lot of people really followed for a lot of years. Um, and so the interview was asking her about, do you think now through the 2020 lens that, you know, 2002 Donna, uh, got a bad rap from Josh basically. Right. Yeah. And the accusation, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. The, what the question is, is, Hey, and I think that the, the person who was doing the asking of the question laid it out pretty well, like, Hey, you know, we're we're not sort of saying we should cancel the West Wing. It's just through the lens of 2020, you know, this storyline is is a little awkward, but no one's saying that, like, we didn't enjoy it back then. Let's be clear. When we watched the West Wing, for fans of the West Wing, all of us at the time, we either shipped Donna or Josh, we either shipped Donna and Josh, or we shipped Josh and Amy. But At the time in 2004, we weren't saying, oh my God, collectively, some people were, of course, those people who are advanced and ahead of the curve. But most of us were like, yeah, cute. Well, and we should lay out that the accusations are not, this is not 16 candles or anything like that. The accusations were, uh, was Josh somewhat dismissive of Donna, his assistant sometimes, slash did he keep her in a subservient role to him because uh, he liked her being around? And the author of the piece, Joy Press, um, actually even cites uh, a line from an episode where um, it's, uh, I'm just scrolling to find it here, but, uh, you know, but the, somebody says to her, one of her friends in the show Uh, she says, no, Josh is really, he really cares about my career. He does. And I'm paraphrasing apologies to Aaron Sorkin. And her friend says, if he cared about your career, you would have grown out of that job three years ago. So even in the show, it was sort of outlined in, in that way. That's how it was laid out to Janelle Monae, who, or pardon me, to Janelle Maloney. Those two people could not be totally more different. Um, that's how it was laid out to Janelle Maloney. And her response was kind of disappointing. Or I was It was almost no response. Like, I mean, it was a non-response response. She doesn't want to engage in that conversation. Yeah. Her quote is, first of all, it's pretend, so we don't have to worry about Donna. She's a fictional character. And then she goes off on sort of a kind of a rant about uh, cancel culture um, and says, well, they ended up together in the end. And look, I do understand this philosophy, right? This idea that that is the character, that's who Donna was, that it's not necessarily for everybody to, you know, want a relationship like Josh and Donna had or whatever, but that that's who they were. Yes? Yep. But the problem and the reason that people who have an issue with the West Wing have an issue with the West Wing, or one of the reasons, is there were no other women really, especially in the beginning, who were the antidote to that, who were seen as both capable and sexually desirable. Right. Is that a fair statement or or like you can tell me if you think I'm incorrect, but you mentioned Amy, who was played by Mary Louise Parker, but she didn't come around, I don't think, till season four, maybe. Um, And CJ Craig, the Alice and Janney character, like Alice and Janney is everybody's like 
favorite hot snack at this point, but she wasn't really portrayed that way then. That's one of those things, to your point, that became true as as the producers watched what was happening on the show. Yeah. I think that, to me, I understand, right? Like, you know, and this is this is part of this is these are the things that make work so tricky and fascinating and complicated that here is somebody Janelle Maloney who loved that job and who loved uh-huh. her who loved her character who loved her experience it's quite clear like for the most part the entire cast they still keep in touch they really have idealized this time this this show that they worked on look how many emmys it won i mean it's one of the most celebrated shows of of the last 50 years so i understand from from that perspective you know she only wants to look at it through the best possible lens but it doesn't mean that like you can't at least engage in the conversation like could Donna have had a promotion? Could she have been challenged more? Were her talents wasted? Did Was Josh patronizing to her? Was it a little awkward, this sexual, sex, sexual tension? Did they ever cross any lines? I mean, it is an interesting conversation to have. She's refusing to have it. And it's, I think it's a, through a work perspective, it's an interesting thing to wrestle with. Like when you love something so much and experience so much, and it has to do with your work, does you, if you're doubting it a little or challenging it a little, does it take away from that work? I don't know. I mean, I think that there are two things afoot. I think everything you said is exactly true. I think two a one on this show, even with the like rifts between certain actors, I think everybody loved this show. Um, even Rob Lowe leaving after four seasons had more for his demo reel and got like five shows on the back of his performance as Sam Seaborn. Um, and it was the most celebrated show of the time. I think everybody had a ball for the most part. Um, and so I think that part of it, you're right, is about the idea of, oh, I can't poison that memory by questioning any of it. But it's also whitewashed, right? Like, look, here's the other story about the West Wing. This is where we get to one of our favorite phrases that we haven't had occasion to say in a while. You want to say it with me? Fucking Sorkin. Fucking Uh, Sorkin. (laughs) I mean, the show was written by Aaron Sorkin, who is brilliant, but who has uh, undoubtedly put his foot into his mouth about women uh, dozens of times. But more specifically, there came a time by Aaron Sorkin's own admission where he was so behind in the writing of the show, and he wouldn't let the writer's room do anything, blah, blah, blah. He was sliding pages of script under his office door one by one to be run to the set for people to go and shoot because he was so behind. That's never easy for a cast. That's never a set without any issues. And maybe the end product was so great that that was okay. But it's a bit disingenuous to be like, we were the best show that never had any problems ever and ever. But I think the other thing and the other Sorkin of it, uh, I should stop talking. You talk for a while. No, I love the phrase, the other Sorkin of it is amazing. <laughs> well, I think the other thing is that, um, you know, Janelle Maloney certainly has worked in the past uh, decade, let's say, but not as visibly or notably as when she was Donna, right? Um, and what has changed is that we everybody agrees that... Uh, the fans have much more ownership over shows, over characters than they used to, right? Mm -hmm. It used to be a much more passive 
uh, occupation to dip into the lives of uh, CJ and Josh and everybody on what, Wednesday nights? Yeah. Then it is now when you can watch a show whenever you want. You can binge it however you want. You can, on a good day, uh, interact with the creator or star of your favorite show on any number of social media outlets of your choice, right? It's a much more ownership-based kind of viewing experience. And so I think that's what put me the most wrong about her comment about she's a fictional character. We don't have to worry about her. It's like, uh, come on, like fictional characters tell us how to live our lives, which is why you're doing a special about voting so that these fictional characters will inspire real people to vote. No? Yeah, uh, that was probably, that's probably most disappointing because essentially you're betraying storytelling. I mean, this is why storytelling is important. This is why you have, we all have jobs. This is why we all tune in. Like, yes, we know that these people aren't real, but for all intents and purposes, they've been shaped by reality. They've been shaped by all things that are familiar to us that we recognize. So I'm, I'm, I sort of want to chalk that up to, you know, being uncomfortable with the big question anyway. Um, you know, clearly she, uh, isn't, a stranger to this kind of debate over the show and people revisiting the West Wing and asking about what about this? What about that? Um, it's just, it's just a really interesting reflex to first go to, it's not real. So everybody just stop it. And then to be like, cancel culture sucks. I, I would have thought if we're talking about work and this is a show about work, I would have thought that they, together or she would have prepared a better answer. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. Um especially because I think that history has proven and by history I mean like the past 18 months that talking about something on a show that didn't go down the way it was supposed to or that people reacted to has made everybody's experience richer rather than take away from it, right? Like it actually can't to your point no, something that you loved and worshipped and and felt really, really thrilled and proud to be a part of. Um, I think that's still real in the moment. I don't think it takes it away for somebody to say, I had this different experience. Um, like the example that comes to mind is, do you remember the debate about condoms on Insecure? Yes. They were uh, basically called out for never showing condom use, right? Right. And I think Issa Rae, and now I'm real paraphrasing, but she basically said, yeah, we didn't. We felt weird about it. We were kind of avoiding it. We won't anymore. Yes? Yep. Doesn't that make it better? She hears, she engages, and then we see the difference between, not because it's the viewer's job to correct Issa Rae or Aaron Sorkin or anybody else, but because it's like, oh, yeah, I always want to be reflecting real life. But again, real life back then was that, I mean, the easiest way to answer the question is, well, did you notice that there was no conversation about Donna back then? Like there was no outrage. We weren't hearing that because we were so used to it. You know, the writing, we were so used to it. We got the pages. Nobody questioned it. Like this was so normal. And that is like, that is why, you know, shows exist as a time capsule. 
Art exists as a time capsule. Documents exist as a time capsule to tell us who we were and how far we want to go and how far we've come. This is the easiest way to get around it. Be like, yeah. And imagine like in every other industry, when it comes to boss and assistant, Donna and Josh's relationship was probably like everywhere. It was so familiar that anybody watching who wasn't even in politics recognized it in banking, in law, in engineering, wherever. Absolutely. And I love your, like the response you just scripted for her. Um, And the other one that I feel like I've heard before is some variation on, oh man, I, you know, I was so much like Donna when I was young and there are probably things that she should have said to Josh. Like we know they're fictional. We can play Mm -hmm. in the fictional world. She probably should have called him out sometimes. And I imagine that when she was drunk with her friends in a bar on H Street, I don't know, I'm pulling out DC references like I know what I'm doing, that she was like, fuck that guy, but didn't feel like she could do it. But I wish I could tell her, Dottie, you tell him, man. And I think Josh would have loved that, says Janelle Maloney. People would love that. They would eat that shit up if she said that stuff. But you know what also is important? I mean, I don't think she or a lot of actors wouldn't go this step to actually extend the conversation in this direction. But back then, for a supporting actor on a hit show, it wasn't like what they can do now. If you're not happy with the direction of your character, you have ways to, I don't want to say kick up a fuss, but at least push back and say like, I don't think my character would do this. Or why isn't my character progressing? You know, in that time, in that era, a Janelle Maloney, as if she could knock on Sorkin's door and be like, yo, Sorkin, uh, Donna wouldn't still be in this job. Like, can we give her some ambition? What are things, some things that she can apply to? Can you work that into the storyline? Even now, there are actors who have a hard time articulating that and advocating for their characters, although some have, right? We have seen many examples, but yeah. back then, not possible. Well, and can I speak up for TV and script writing for a second and say that's also because back then, um, the West Wing was not uh, we are so, so, so much more serialized and we expect so much more serialization from our TV shows now that we want to see all the characters grow and change. And we hear a lot of showrunners saying what, you know, what Molly is doing this season, what uh, Arabella is doing next season, that kind of thing. Whereas it used to be that networks wanted shows to be much more episodic so that you could drop in at any time if you missed it, because of course this is before streaming, you had to watch it Wednesday at 10, so that you could drop in and understand the relationship and the dynamics between Donna and Josh and between Josh and Sam and whoever else. So it's also, there's also a a like a seismic cultural shift, not just Me Too shift, but also just in terms of the style of shows that we make. That, yeah, she couldn't knock on Sorkin's door for any number of reasons. But one of them is that there was a much higher premium on keeping the archetypes the archetypes. She was the assistant. That was it. That's that's how those Barbie dolls play together. But this is also what's so great about this fucking show is that this one quote from Janelle Monet. Ah, me. I just did it. This one quote from Janelle Maloney about her character on the West Wing Um, has given us so many angles to talk about work, how work has changed, what work still needs to happen. Like, 
you know, and the real world application for that is, yeah, as many people, like as many people out there who are thinking, oh, it would have been so great if Donna had a career trajectory that was different, that was upward. In so many businesses, how many women are afraid to ask, hey, uh, when can I get that promotion? When is it time? I would like to go for this job. I would like to apply to that department. Uh, Are you holding me down? I can think of three people I know personally who've experienced this in the last year alone. Sure. But, you know, that's actually maybe uh, you're, you're Mary Sunshine without realizing it, because that's actually maybe a positive takeaway from this this quote, as you say, and from this piece, which is to say. Donna is uh, guys, whoever, you know who we're talking about, <laughs> Janelle Maloney is implying that Donna, the character, is frozen in amber. She can't change. We can't think about what we see back then. We can't whatever. By contrast, because I was thinking like, oh, a lot of the younger people don't watch West Wing. A lot of the people who uh, are West Wing fans maybe are, you know, of a certain age kind of thing. Um, But those people can look at their own lives. They haven't stayed still over 18 years and go, oh, my God, look at what I used to think back then. Or look at what I used to think was okay, And look how far I have come. And, you know, I think that's I don't want them to have updated the West Wing and done it 20 years later. It would be impossible for any number of reasons. But looking at this and going, oh, yeah, things do change. Attitudes change. I can push. I can try in a way that I didn't think I could. Or I can see how I am different from the scared girl that I was in 2002, for example. For example. You know, but I guess, yeah, Janelle Maloney, if you're out there and you want someone to workshop your, you know, revisiting Donna answers, we're here, man. Um, I do want to just give a tiny shout out to Dulé Hill because this dude's been asked basically the same question for the last 20 years. Um, but there's a paragraph set up that doesn't expressly ask, but more or less nods to, uh, oh, you know, you played the president's assistant and then you started dating his daughter fictionally. And then there were like racist letters and threats. And it is implied that the question asked to him is, were you surprised by that? Or was that a shock? Or was it hard to deal with? To which he responds, I'm a black man in America. So for me, it wasn't new, um, mm-hmm. is what he said in 2020. Um, I think Janelle Monet could have borrowed some of that energy, right? Janelle Maloney. Yep. That person also. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, she could have borrowed some of that. Like, I'm a woman in the world. Yes, I've been uh, overlooked or talked down to as... Donna was by Josh, you know? Yep. And, you know, the Dulé, the Dulé Hill part is, we're still learning from Charlie in the sense of, you know, he said, I'm a black man in the world. Like, it's not new to me, but the questions about, hey, you were the only black member of a cast. Well, in 2004 on network television, name me a black actor who wasn't the only black actor in the cast. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And I actually think that's a, an excellent way of putting it. Yes. It's, it's that old Mindy Kaling phrase, right? First, only different. Or Shonda Rhimes phrase, first, only different. Um, yeah. And in fact, I'd say that was your answer. In 2004, Grey's Anatomy had three main cast members who were black. 
Um, and that was a revolution. Yep. Oh, Shonda. Wisdom from Shonda. In um, short, anyway, can we get this special up here, please? I know. Like, how can we? I mean, I'm even okay with not watching it, like, when everybody else watches it. Can we just get it, like, uh, two days later? Yeah, on the weekend. We don't need it day and date. That's fine. But, yeah. like, come on now. Just let us see it. I, uh, anyway. Well, anyway, I'm going to go back and watch the original, I guess. But I would just like to see them now. I just want to see the chem. Anyway, uh. You are lucky if you are in America and you have HBO Max and you subscribe to it and you're going to watch it. Let us know what you think of it. Let us know what you think of the West Wing now through the current perspective and the conversations maybe you're having about it. We would appreciate it. We will move on now to our next. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Speaking of shows about work and why we're obsessed with them, Saturday Night Live. Last week's episode, hosted by Bill Burr, um, the highlight moment, the, probably the moment m- like lots of people – well, probably there were two. There's a joke during the open, opening monologue, and then during Weekend Update, Kate McKinnon, who was playing a character called Dr. We Notice, broke character – I say that in quotes, I wish you could see me – broke character, started laughing, and then Jost was like – are you okay, Kate? And she was basically like, no, I'm not okay. And then online, there was all this conversation about Kate McKinnon breaking character, so relatable. And you and I have some issues with the way that this bit was covered. Yeah, a hundred percent. So she breaks, she comes out of the break, so to speak, and is like, no, clearly I'm not okay. She was breaking, like she didn't fall or anything. She had like hysterical laughter that looked, you know, that laughter which gets out of control and you're aware that you might cry at any second. Yeah. Um, And she was like, no, I'm not okay. And like everything is weird and I'm trying to cope with wigs and mustaches and so forth. And then recovered pretty well, even including like the name of her character, which was the joke of the sketch several times in her supposed recovery, right? Yeah. So first of all, you know, you have to debate, was it a break? And you feel strongly that it was not. I do not feel like it was a breaking character. And like the kind of breaking character or the kind of losing it that famously we saw from Jimmy Fallon and others during the Cowbell sketch or Ryan Gosling losing it over Kate McKinnon in the alien abduction recurring sketches. Right. This was not that. This was not a break of character that was like completely taken by surprise and like the control room didn't know what was happening, for example. Right. Like, I mean, I look, I think she got hysterical. I think she started laughing and like almost surprised herself with how hysterical she was being, Right. But I don't think it was a situation, which is the way it was covered, where Colin Jost, the person, was checking in on his colleague, Kate, the person, right? That's right. I think 
are you okay, Kate? Was, I think that that was scripted. I do not think that that was a spontaneous check-in on the colleague. Yeah, I mean, even if it was, let's say that it was. Let's If I started hysterically laughing here and you said, Duanna, are you all right? Like, are you okay? Can you recover? It's not like you're actually worried about my mental well-being, right? If I'm, it, the show is live and our show is live today for reasons, but, <laughs> um, but I don't think it's like, if it was truly bad, as you said, the control room could actually have cut away. Weekend update is one of the few parts of the show where they could do that if they needed to. Yeah, that's right. So again, I don't, I just totally disagree with the interpretation that this was a character break that, you know, it's all gotten too much. Even Kate McKinnon broke and just had to have a candid moment. No, I, that was absolutely not a candid moment where she was just speaking to the camera like, hey, America, it's Kate. Let's just sit in this frustration and exasperation for a second. That was not what was happening. Right. I Look, I 90% agree with you. The only part where I don't is that a laughing fit is a hard thing to script, right? Especially on a show like Saturday Night Live where we watch all the time and we see them struggle to keep from laughing and then get it back. Like that's a fun sort of side sport, right? Is watching whose mouth is twitching and who's going to yeah. be able to recover or not. It's a hard thing to script. Oh, Kate breaks down in laughter. Then Colin says, are you okay? Then she kind of recovers herself and they go on. Um, so I can buy that it might've been a slight improv on his part. The, are you okay, Kate? You know, and clearly I'm not. And then they got back to it. But I don't think it was like a bigger seismic, uh, you know, moment in her life because of the way she's coping with the pandemic or Trump or whatever. Yeah. Fair? Fair. So then I guess the question is, why was it covered that way? Like you said, oh, it's so relatable and cute. Is that like that's the vibe that you felt or, or I mean, do people relate to Kate McKinnon? True, true question. I think that to me, it's, it's about projecting. Like to me, it was a projection of like, oh my God, everything is so fucked that even Kate McKinnon, who you have before called her like the go-to, you know, really the ace of SNL, it's current cast right now. She, they, they go to her for everything. You know, she's playing, she's playing four or five characters at any moment. Yeah, um, she's a master at particularly like be costumed, be wigged characters, right? Like she, as opposed to an A.D. Bryant or a Cecily Strong who often play like versions of themselves or Jost and Che at the Weekend Update desk who are really playing versions of themselves. She's often as far from being Kate the girl as possible or the woman, I should say. Yeah. No, my objection to it is that projecting onto it that way and I understand why we all are projecting our anxiety right now, of course. But I guess what annoys me is characterizing it that way through whatever, your perspective, your projection, your relating, um, kind of takes away from the fact that that was work. That was intentional, deliberate work. They, you know, that was set up for that kind of giggly, loose, wild vibe, but they still nailed the joke that was scripted. Like that they were always intending to come around to that. And so 
kind of like brushing the whole thing with this brush of like Kate McKinnon breaks really, I think, kind of like negates the work that went into actually setting up for that moment. Sure. I buy that. Or uh, negates the skill level of the tacticians in turning it around, right? There's a, there's a saying at SNL about Lauren hates when people break and he loves when people break, which makes perfect sense mm-hmm. to me, right? Lauren yes. Michaels is this uber professional. He hates when people break because that's not what we're here to do. But it's great TV when people break. So I can see why he would love that, right? Yeah. But these guys are the most skilled at being able to save something that's all going wrong. It's all about to go out the window. Um, and so, like, I can see that point, that it negates that work, you know? To me, and maybe this is my own projection and interpretation, I also read the headlines of Kate McKinnon Breaks as almost a bit like, not quite ha-ha, but a little bit like... See, like, uh, see, look how, look how, you know, look how big and enormous the, the, look what they're doing in all their like constant, I don't know, mocking of the politics and, and being cruel or something. I, I don't have a real fine point to put on it, but it just seemed as though it was like a bit spiteful. And I'm like, what? Of all the people who are objectionable in the world, Kate McKinnon is real low on the list. Like she's sort of, as you say, reliably hilarious and entertaining. Why are we thrilled that she broke like, well, good, she's not perfect. Like, were we really worried that she was? And maybe you can tell me, like, you don't feel that that was the vibe. But it just seemed to me, I don't know if it was like, I don't know if it's Republicans who like like slap back at Saturday Night Live or what it was, but it just felt strangely spiteful to me. That wasn't my theory. Like my theory, I can see why like you're going there because of everybody has is reading into so many things these days and everything is so polarized. But my theory has to do more with like why SNL is still the topic of conversation. Like I mean, as the kids would say, why SNL is still that bitch? Um, Because because one of everybody's favorite pastimes is to dump on SNL. Oh, it's not funny anymore. It stopped being funny in like, I don't know, after Will Ferrell left. It stopped being funny when this person left. Well, I should say not to like uh, contradict you, but that's it's not what everybody's favorite pastime is. It's people who obsessively watch SNL. And then yeah. complain about it, right? Like there are a whole bunch of people who don't care and that's fine. Um, but the people who complain are often the people who uh, actually are, uh, you know, watching it obsessively to make those assessments. Anyhow, continue. No, it's fucking boring. Like to me, that conversation, because at this point, what SNL has become, part of SNL is complaining that SNL isn't funny anymore. It's just they've... They've absorbed that into their brand. Um, and, you know, nobody, for those of for those people who are out there who are about to be like, oh, that show is not funny anymore, please know that you are the 10 millionth person to have said that. This is not an original thought. You know, this is, so you saying it like it's some sort of declaration that nobody has heard before, move on. It's boring. 
Um, that is actually not the thing that, that we watch SNL for. So I think the whole Kate McKinnon thing for people who are like, oh my God, like that was such a moment. It was so refreshing is like a kind of side eye adding into that boring ass conversation about like, oh, it hasn't been funny in a long time. So it really surprised me because like there was just this moment where, oh, finally, like something made it worthwhile. I mean, you know, stop. This is where at any given moment, by the way, if if our country needs us, we could stop everything and make an SNL all the time podcast. Um, the same way that we could stop everything and make like a fashion calendar, we easily could do all SNL all the time. But this is what's so interesting about your take and mine, uh, other than we clearly love our, our opinions, is that <laughs> I think that's a, a, a segment of yours, a filament is where I'm coming from that it does seem like scoring points off SNL. Kate McKinnon broke, haha. I guess either way, if it were just the, the, those hate watchers and like certain like Reddit grumblers, that would be one thing. But to your point, it was like, it was a headline. It was an SNL headline uh, in several places up to mid this week. It was a headline and from like, entertainment websites that are pretty tapped in, like, which is why I, I find it so weird. Like some of the people who were reporting on this in, from this angle kind of should know better. Yeah. Or just like there was, there was no there, there, as they say. Right. Um, but I mean, yeah, there is a lot of pressure on SNL in general, they're doing their first ever five shows without a break uh, every week leading up to the election. Uh, you know, this is to to paraphrase you. This is their Super Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's happening. Uh, and I guess there's going to be moments like that or people want to see moments like that that remind us it's actually live. Yeah. Um, but that's that's kind of that's why another you watch thing. The show. But that's another thing, and this may be too inside baseball or too geeky about our industry, but even when there are moments that feel more live than others, the whole thing is live, there are some moments that feel especially live because they don't seem entirely prepared, there was preparation that goes, that went into it to allow for a spontaneity, to allow for a, an energy, a, a type of energy and a wildness, to allow for a looseness or to allow for a different kind of emotion. Um, you know, if we want to take a Kate McKinnon example of breaking or at least cracking open in a certain way, four years ago, uh, the Dave Chappelle episode, which was after Donald Trump won the election, the cold open was Kate McKinnon in character as Hillary Clinton at the piano. The lights were dimmed down low and she was, what was the song she was singing? Hallelujah. Right. That's right. That's right. And her voice cracked and it was a moment of real emotion, but don't take away from the fact that in television, they set it up to allow for that moment to be as profound as it was. They decided together collectively you know, production and crew and cast, that the lights would be low, that the piano would be there, that everything would be quiet, that you would allow Kate to play the character and just channel whatever she thought the character would be feeling in that moment. And if her voice cracked and she had a moment where 
Kate's feelings came through. That is what people in television are hoping will happen. So it is still part of the work. And calling it like an accident takes away from the skill of those people. And those are the professionals. Sorry. That is my fucking pulpit preaching of the day. I mean, that was that was something else. That was amazing. Uh, I'm really glad we're not cutting anything here because that just kept going. It was so fun. Yes, you're right. It's about the it's about finding the moment and it's about people pivoting on their feet while things are live to find the moment. Um, and I guess the the elephant in the room being you work in live TV all the time. I used to do it more. I don't now. I exclusively work in uh, scripted where we can get another take. You're still looking for the magic. And I think the point stands either way that whether something is not scripted, but you've worked out every detail so that magic can happen or whether you are doing something for the seventh time and on the eighth time, something magical happens, even though everything about it would seem to be just a rewind and press play. And yet something different happens. That's, that's why we do what we do, right? Because sometimes it's, it's, it can be magic, but either way, you're right. Everything has to be in place for that to be the case. I guess that's where I'm a little projecty and sensitive and, you know, relating because in COVID times, every industry is hard hit, you know, and I do think that a lot of jobs are on the line, productions are being scaled back, canceled, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the, the work that the people behind the scenes who are unseen do to create those magic moments in television, the whole point is that they do the work so that you as the viewer don't, don't see them there. But when it works, it's because they did their job beautifully. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a, it's a ballet. I mean, that's the other beautiful part, right? Is that any show, uh, even a show like SNL with a huge cast has an, a hundred people behind the scenes who are working just as hard as the, you know, as the on in front of the camera people are. And so, yeah, it is a beautiful ballet of, timing and cues and all the rest of it to make it happen, which I guess is the greater point, right? Whether Kate McKinnon broke and beautifully recovered to land her punchline or whether it was all scripted from the beginning, she and Jost and the control room and the like music guys and everybody else were all poised on like riding it in the moment, like a DJ, like a skateboarder. I have no more Euphemisms, (laughs) Euphemisms, <laughs> um, to to ride that moment, and that in itself is a big skill, right? Yep, and we get to do it all over again this Saturday with Issa Rae. Oh, and yeah. people will be bitching about it or not. And but anyway, enough with the complaining about SNL. Wait, wait, wait! I have one thing. Um, can we like, if you guys are listening, this episode is going up on Thursday. If you are an SNL virgin, if you've never seen the show before, would you volunteer to be our like intern for one episode and just watch it and see what your take is as somebody who doesn't care about these people or know them by name and every sketch they've ever done? I would love to know. Um, You don't have to watch it live. You can record it and watch it on Sunday if you want. 
I just, I would love if somebody would volunteer. I'm being totally serious. Email us uh, Thursday or Friday to be the SNL intern, uh, and we will report back your findings on our next episode. On that note, uh, we look forward to meeting you, future intern. And thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for putting up with this unedited episode. We will be back to normal times. Um, what if they episode? say they hear no difference between an unedited and <laughs> edited episode, I, which I think might be the case? Um, they heard multiple, like 80 instances of us saying Janelle Monet instead of Janelle Maloney. I think that is a feature, not a bug. And I also was thinking, like, should they do like an all black West Wing uh, reread the way they did with Steel Magnolias? Because I would be here for that. And they didn't they do a Golden Girls version? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, you now all know that Janelle Monet is on our minds constantly. <laughs> um, speaking of on our minds, I don't have the lyric to make that link. But you know what we haven't done is talked about Mariah Carey's book yet. Uh, some of us are still reading, by which I mean both of us and maybe you guys. <laughs> uh, so that is for real actually coming up in the next episode. Let's all do our homework together. Uh, in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Check us out. Uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave comments and reviews. We will be back in two weeks. Work hard. Bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.